Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. And I'm Wajahat Ali. And we are really pleased uh, to be joined on this episode of Democracy-ish by podcaster and YouTuber extraordinaire and the representative for the white race for this taping, (laughs) Brian Tyler Cohen. Um, Brian, we are so happy to have you. Um, You are pretty much, you know, fabulous. You've lived multiple lives. Um, but we want to get into a conversation today with the media, right? And how the media continues to, you know, fall short on every single metric as it comes to defending our democracy, to amplifying the danger that our country is in by people who want to overturn democracy and usher in uh, a authoritarian fascist regime. Um, As somebody who is esteemed and knows how to utilize media, what, what, what are they getting wrong? And is it purposeful? Well, yeah, I think it's purposeful for sure. I mean, I think that the one thing that the media more broadly, the mainstream media, legacy media likes less than anything else is being referred to as liberal. And so there's so much, Mm. there's so much overcorrecting, so much compensating happening. And so um, that's what we're seeing right now. I mean, you know, we've all heard both sidesism. And so um, the Republicans can launch an attack on the very seat of democracy itself. They can rally behind this guy who's stolen, uh, you know, classified documents from the White House and on and on and on. But if the Democrats uh, say that it's 70 degrees outside and it's 74 degrees outside, well, then both sides are really uh, dealing with an optics issue right now. And so this is just something that we've seen over and over again. There's, there was a lot of criticism and kind of uh, reflecting happening after 2016 because people rightly saw that that's what got us Trump. I mean, all of this, these false equivalencies and whatnot. But now I think that there's a whole um, movement back toward exactly that. And I don't know if it's because our memories are just so short or if it's because there's just a major profit incentive for legacy media to be able to 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 lift uh, the Republican Party up and to be able to, to um, show all of this uh, conflict 
anyway, but whatever it is, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's what we have ultimately is just a media that's really dropped the ball and, and kind of um, deferred to that profit incentive more than, I guess, the, the, the very foundations of democracy itself. You know, we, we talked about that right on the show often because I think we all agree that media especially uh, is a vehicle and tool for fascists to use and abuse to promote their agenda, right? Steve Bannon figured it out like way back. He said, forget yep. the Democrats, the, the enemy is the media. He said that again and again and again. And, you know, we've seen with the, the I think, the proliferation of right-wing media, you know, they dominate when it comes to radio. They dominate when it comes to the podcast. I mean, and the quality is crappy. No offense, but I've listened to some of these guys. I mean, you're, you're, you used to be an actor in a previous life. The voice acting ain't strong. The intellectual <laughs> uh, merit ain't there, right? Yeah. Uh, but the money's there. And so that's why you get the Ben Shapiro's, right? And you get the Daily Callers. When it comes to the online magazines, they're crushing it. And, and there's something to be said about when it comes to money. We look at CNN, where I used to work for a year. Now it's like open. We have to court both Republicans and liberals. We have to play down the middle. And the question I always have, well, who's the liberal, right, Brian? Like, who, who is the liberal equivalent of, of a Rick Santorum or a Chris yeah. Christie who has a huge deal on ABC, right? Like, no one. Like, there's no Danielle. There's no you. Uh, there's no me anymore. Uh, and so in this space, I feel like there's people like you who have come out with your, with your very successful YouTube channel, uh, with your podcast. Is there an opening, you think? Because I think there's an opening now where people are saying, we want a progressive liberal voice, which represents the majority. If you look at the polls, we ain't going to get it anymore on CNN or maybe even parts of MSNBC. We're going to go to other outlets, which explains in part why I think you're very successful and why the vice president, Kamala Harris, straight up agreed to do an interview with you. Am I wrong with this, this assessment? Am I, am I being too optimistic here? Well, I think that the numbers bear that out. I mean, people are tuning in more and more and more to non-traditional media channels. I mean, you mentioned yourself, uh, the proliferation of right-wing sources all over those non-traditional channels and, and how they've been so successful at doing it. Um, you know, that's why, that's why I started doing what I do in the first place. I was watching Facebook one day and I was just watching some right winger spew a bunch of bullshit that, that was very, very easily debunked and it wasn't getting debunked. And there weren't these channels doing, um, doing what the right was doing. And so I was, I was actually working at Occupy Democrats at the time. It was 2017. I worked there for a year and uh, I was writing short form articles on their now defunct website. But but I had kind of my first foot in the door in terms of being a part of this non-traditional um, ecosystem, this progressive ecosystem. And so I saw, I was like, I, I want to start doing video content. And I had a background as an actor, um, although not not a very storied one, but uh, got, a, got a few commercials in there. You, you, got, you, uh, I saw, you have an IMBD uh, page, I, sir. I, I do, I do have an IMBD I, I had my uh, my cars.com commercial and a <laughs> lot of a lot of really uh, strong uh, uh, claim to fames there. But in any case, I saw what was happening on the right, and I, I decided to leave Occupy and go independent and start producing video content. And it was just solely aimed at debunking right wing disinformation. And the channel grew pretty quickly, which which I think is a testament to the fact that there was this major vacuum um, on the left where people were looking for a lot of these videos. Um, either either promoting 
you know, progressive values or straight up just debunking all the bullshit that we that we have coming, you know, like an avalanche from the right. And so the channel grew really quickly. Since then, we've had a lot of other people, other YouTubers come onto the scene and their channels have grown pretty quickly too. And I think that people are seeing that there was such an appetite to to counter you know, what has ultimately become a really, really dangerous um, right-wing disinformation machine led by people, like you said, from Steve Bannon to, to Ben Shapiro to all the AM talk radio hosts and on and on. But I think, uh, I think we're seeing that, that kind of monopoly, that death grip that the right had kind of um, get countered by, by so many progressives finally recognizing that, you know, we got we to gotta start fighting back on that turf. You know, and one of the things that I will say, too, is I used to chase cable news, right? And like mm. wanting to be on cable news and wanting to get a contributorship and wanting to do, I mean, it's the name of the game when you're coming out of Washington, D.C. and you're in, you're on the Hill and you're in policy work and, you know, you're doing all of these things. And what I started to realize, you know, probably later than 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 most was that nobody was watching cable news anymore. And the reason was, and, th and this, and this, this started actually before Donald Trump, you know, began his erosion. Um, but really it was this idea that the both sidesism was exhausting people. It was exhausting people was, that yeah. actually just wanted information or they wanted to, they wanted information, frankly, on shit that we weren't covering. So for instance, right, we just watched two weeks Two fucking weeks of the monarch colonizer extraordinaire. And during that time, we had Pakistan underwater. We had uh, Puerto Rico underwater. We have Donald Trump running a crime spree across this country, uh, across multiple states. We have all of these things that are happening. And yet the only thing that the media, mainstream media paid attention to was, isn't it so sad? Shouldn't we all be crying that a 96-year-old woman that made her career and her family's money off of theft, right, is something that we should all be stopped dead in our tracks mourning at the same time? And what I have found- Is she dead yet? Is, I mean, has you she know, finally been thank buried? God. Um, you know, she's okay. in the ground. I was just checking because it's been dominating for two weeks. Yeah, I'm just she's, checking. I she's just she's finally and, and I, at rest. Let I'm, me let me say I'm, that. I'm, I'm proud to say not nary a single tweet has gone out about uh, about the queen. Not a single video has been made about the queen because I mean, like like you're saying right now. I mean, there are so many more important things, and I think that there's like there's this dissonance between um between what the media actually covers and what people I think like what these more important issues are. And I think, again, going back to the first thing we were saying, um, you know, if, if I think if, if, <laughs> if they're not getting, um, let me see how, let me think for a second how I want to put this. Um, you know, I, I think that the media sees that if, if there's too much coverage on something that might be considered uh, uh, help too helpful to one side, um, that's gonna, that'll, that's not going to help their whole, uh, um, this is this is a slot. Let me let me take that back again. Um, if the media sees that there's too much coverage on one side that that might be viewed as being too helpful uh, for one side, so like the Democrats, for mm -hmm. example, um, that's not going to help their whole both sides shtick that they're trying to pull off. And so I think you know that this is you know rather than covering 
Pakistan, like you said, rather than covering Donald Trump's crime spree, rather than covering Ron DeSantis using migrants as pawns mm. in a political stunt. Well, we have to focus on that uh, because because too much coverage uh, against the right would be uh, would be counter counterproductive to to our 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 new um, our new objective, our new goal, which is to uh, uh, make sure that both parties are getting equal positive and equal negative coverage. But I don't even, see, I don't even, buy even the... though, by the way, even though, by the way, they're not committing the same amount of equal and positive exactly. equal and negative uh, actions. But and, but, and, uh, and, you know, you got to find something. Wanna, and that's when I kind of want to unpack here a bit, because I think we have to expose this both stat. You said both sides shtick. And when you said both sides shtick, it just reminded because, me of this. Well, that's the thing. They they know. Like mm. these people have to know. They're smart. I have, look. Yep. I have a ton of respect for these for 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 our reporters. I, you know, it, I don't. I don't like. I'm not one of those like YouTubers who goes online and says like you know fuck legacy media. But because I I have a ton of respect for what they do, and yeah. we all even as independent uh, creators, we all rely on on so much of what they do to inform what we do uh, just in a different space. But at the same time, these people are smart enough that they have to see that when you have this crime spree happening, when you have these people exploiting human beings as political pawns, when you have uh, when you have all of the blatant hypocrisy between whining about Hillary's emails and then uh, and then Donald Trump does something 10 times worse when you have people saying that she used a private server and then Ivanka did the exact same thing in the White House. You see this blatant hypocrisy and you have to know that just because uh, Joe Biden uttered the word semi-fascist, that mm. it is not the same. Come on. That yep. when you put it in the context of this whole of, of an optics issue and you put Joe Biden saying the word fascist, by the way, to describe a fascist party, and you have the raft of crimes being committed by these people, that they're not the same. And when you draw those false equivalencies, mm -hmm. people have a good bullshit meter. They can yeah. sense that. And then and then they're not going to trust you. I mean, so much of our currency is just trust. I spend so much of my time trying to make sure that I that I don't get anything wrong. Because, yeah. because if you do, it could be that easy for people to say, ah, well, well, that person just, you know, they, they, they lied about this one thing. They got it wrong about this one thing. And so, you know, I'm going to go to a different source that I know uh, won't get it wrong. So, so much of what we do relies on people being able to trust us. And when you have this, this, this disingenuousness um, by the media, I think that just rubs people the wrong way. And now that there are other options, now that it's not just ABC, NBC, CBS, and CNN, now that we have other options and you can log on to YouTube, you can listen to podcasts, um, you can go on to Facebook, I think people are recognizing that they don't have to be subjected to what we all know, including yeah. the people who are purveying that stuff, is just bullshit. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. 
Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. You know, it's one of those things where the, the both sides shtick ultimately harms the majority, which, again, if you look at the polls, leans towards liberal progressive values, right? I remember when, and, and this is where, you know, you, there are two things you mentioned where the double standards are so apparent, where Danielle and I, just like you, you know, hand on our heart, you know, God knows our intentions. We try to be accurate. You can disagree with yeah. us. But, you know, I try. Like, if I get something wrong, I'll correct it in one of my pieces. Yeah. Like, if someone's like, mm, excuse me, sir, that fact is incorrect. I'm like, my bad. I'll go email yeah. my editor. And we get penalized for small mistakes. The right wing gets rewarded and yeah. coddled for egregious lying. Ben Shapiro had this sweetheart profile in the New York Times where they called him the cool kids philosopher. This yeah. is after all of his anti-LGBT stuff, anti-woman stuff, anti-Palestinian stuff, anti-Muslim stuff. Because he was a right-wing uh, YouTuber who was gaining currency with a new media, right? He's a cool kid's philosopher. You, you have a, an amazing uh, podcast. You have a YouTube channel with a billion views. The vice president herself said, I'm going to talk to Brian. I'm a busy woman, but I'm going to talk to Brian. And yet people like you within our spaces are not afforded that type of leverage and profile, if indeed there is a both side shtick. So there is no both sides, in my opinion, right? right. What, what, and, it, what it is, in, in effect, is just a curve. And, and these people that, on the go. right are, are graded on such a curve. And so they're given all of this latitude, like Ben Shapiro, the cool kids. Imagine, I mean, it just wouldn't happen that if you, if, that if, you know, if, if you had said even a modicum of what this guy had said, but you were on the left, I mean, you'd, you'd imagine- It'd be over, man. It'd be over. Yeah. As it should be, by the and way. And so the question I have is, look, the Democrats themselves, historically, the party, has unfortunately played to this curve instead of calling it out. Yep. And the Democratic Party, and we've talked about this on this podcast, has unfortunately forgotten its base, oftentimes courting this mythical unicorn Rust Belt voter who drinks real coffee yeah. in a diner that apparently me and Danielle can't access because it lives in Narnia, right? And, <laughs> and instead, Danielle is like, Danielle's like, I'm your base. I'm a black woman. I'm literally saving democracy. Look at literally. Letitia James, Fanny Willis. They're like, whatever, Darky, keep quiet. Just vote for us anyway. And they're like, Brian's like, hey, I'm a white progressive. I actually care about these values. Like, whatever, you hipster who drinks oat milk, uh, just go away. And so do you think there's a moment here where the Democratic Party is realizing, huh, we got to meet our base where they are? I think we're in that moment. I mean, look at Joe Biden's approval rating before this summer, before all of the progressive accomplishments that were that were um, that were earned by this by this majority um, happened, I mean, before student loan debt was mm. uh, forgiven for forty three million borrowers, before the Inflation Reduction Act gave the biggest climate investment in world history, um, finally allowed the government to negotiate lower drug prices, finally um, made the rich pay their fair share to a certain degree in terms of the fifteen percent corporate minimum tax for businesses, in terms of um, beefing up IRS enforcement for wealthy tax sheets. Those are all unapologetic uh, progressive uh, 
uh, agenda items. And so, and so before, <laughs> like as we were coming into this, this summer, I mean, you know, I even had my, had, I remember doing podcasts last winter where I was like, look, if we're going to go into midterms next year and all we have, uh, all we have to show for ourselves is a bipartisan infrastructure package, a roads bill, that ain't it. Like, like that, like watered down, well, let's make both sides happy. That ain't it. And Joe yeah. Biden's approval rating was reflective of that. And then we had all of these progressive accomplishments happen this summer. Like I said, from student loan debt, from finally climate money, from from um, some tax fairness, uh, health care. And, and all of a sudden, his approval rating is up like between five and 10 points in yeah, every single huge. poll. He's at 47% are, now. Yeah. So like, I, I think that this is a, a living, breathing testament to exactly that, that if you're going to, if you're going to do this half-assedly, um, people are going to respond half-assedly. And if you're, on the other hand, if you're going to go all in and actually live the values that you, that you claim to, that you claim to have when you're doing, when you're in your campaigns, um, then I think that people are going to respond that way too. And so I think that we're seeing that right now. You know, one of the things that I think, you know, you have demonstrated and, and, and Waj and I do as well is trying to meet people where they actually are. Right. Hmm. And yeah. that is a thing that I believe that Democrats do a terrible job at. And what I trash them yeah. for all the time is that we they still live, I think, until recently, until until Joe Biden uttered the word abortion, until he uttered the word semi fascist, which he could have dropped the semi. Right. And it's actually calling out the villain and naming who they are, that they had been believing in this in, in this historical vision of American politics. Right. Where we have to reflect refer to our colleague from across the aisle, where we have to walk in this balanced and measured way, holding themselves to account um, in, in ways that their opposition isn't. But when I say meeting people where they are, meaning that Yes, I think that it's important to sit down with the ABCs and the MSNBCs of the world, absolutely. But I am thrilled at the fact that the vice president, who again is much younger than the president of the United States, recognizes that, yeah, billion views on Brian Tyler's show, I'm going to go over there, right? As right. opposed to like, it isn't, but it isn't just about like, oh, let me go where the eyeballs are. It's understanding your demographic, they understanding your base and what they need and how they're moving and giving them what they need where they are. Wash and I are both writers, right? Like I write for different outlets, except guess what? I know that a large, a large portion of the population doesn't fucking read. So what else do I do? I do short form videos yeah. on TikTok, right? For people who got 60 seconds worth of time. So let me give you that news clip that is going to allow you to be in the know for today, right? And the same thing going over and being like, okay, well, some people love to listen to 30 minute podcasts, right? So we're going to give them that information. So you have to be able to figure out, here's the information. How am I going to disseminate it? So my question for right. you, Brian, is like, what do you think that it will take for this party to adapt in the way that Waj said at the top, the Republicans have adapted. They know where their people are and they know mm -hmm. what they want to hear. You know, I, I think that we're, we're in the midst of that right now. And I think people are recognizing it. Um, I think that you see these these up and coming Democrats like the AOCs and and even the not so up and coming Democrats like Bernie who've harnessed the power of non traditional media and social media um, so much more effectively than everyone else and 
um, I, I think that people are recognizing the power in not only getting their message out, but also getting getting coverage on mainstream outlets. And so you can have you can have people um, who really do focus on on non traditional, like John Fetterman, for example, and look at how much. Look at how much that lends itself to their to right. his coverage when he is on CNN. When people are talking about him on MSNBC, on other, um, uh, you know, on even right wing outlets, that's all driven by by social, also fundraising. There's no way that these people aren't seeing now that they can that they're that by virtue of going all in on small dollar fundraising and not focusing on PACs, but on focusing on on people and and getting people to actually um, believe in your campaign, that they're not seeing the power that that has. And that's all leveraged by using social. So I think people are recognizing it now. I know the White House um, absolutely sees it. They've been, I don't know how much you can see behind the scenes. I mean, I I, I do, I, I am able to see just by virtue of of like this being my community and, and me having friends in this community that there are people that are in constant contact with the White House. The White House has been really receptive to their credit, um, in doing what the Trump White House, to its credit, did with creators, which is bringing them into the fold. Um, you know, I, I like like you mentioned, I was able to to do that interview with Kamala Harris. That was that was solely due to the fact that um, that th- their office recognized the importance of non traditional media. I went to the White House and interviewed President Biden. That was because they recognized the importance of non traditional media, um, and so I think that they are getting it. And um, I think one other thing is it's just a a generational thing. And I think that the right, which is weird because the right speaks to people who are much, much older, but the right has been able to recruit candidates who are younger. And Mm -hmm. I think that until there's that parity where people who just inherently understand it, as opposed to trying to teach uh, a septuagenarian or an octogenarian how to use Twitter or emails or TikTok, if we can just like... If we can just continue to recruit young people who inherently know how to use these platforms, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier. But we do skew older. I mean, like we do have we do have older representatives because because they're good legislators, and that's what's important for Democrats as opposed to Republicans who need to be communicators. And the older mm-hmm. you get, inherently, it's going to be more difficult. But they have a communication strategy, which is just to lie and bullshit people. But Democrats want to govern because they believe in government. They don't think that the point of government is to break it. So there's an, an inherent divide in terms of like what both parties want to do. But I think what we need is is to find, you know, is to make sure that that there is that that changing of the guard and that that the older folks within the Democratic Party, the older legislators are making room for young people who, A, yes, do believe in legislating, but B, know how to communicate and know how to leverage these social media platforms and know how to reach people where they are. Some of our best friends are white septuagenarians. And so this is a safe space. If you're an elder white <laughs> Democrat, you can come to our show. But also, Brian, um, uh, this, there's strategery afoot. And oftentimes what you have just said and um, about communication and social media and being bold and throwing down when Danielle and I say, Danielle being a black queer woman, me being a Pakistani Muslim American, right? We're seen as hysterical. And so we use whites strategically like yourself to Trojan horse the stuff <laughs> that we've been trying to say, right? We've had Senator yeah. Mallory McMurrow on our show before and she, you know, she finally threw down and she threw down, went against the groomer conspiracy fought back, shared her values, used social media. She's a rock star. Fetterman, for example, communicates, communicates well. He might win his race, right? Um, You, for example, 
throwing down with your values using social media. You have an audience with Joe Biden. You have an audience with Kamala Harris. So it's one of those situations where I always feel, and Danielle and I have talked about this on the show before, is is like, and, and in fact, also just to tie it together historically, black folks in particular are like a step ahead but white America doesn't listen to them. Even when it comes to this Ken yeah. Burns documentary on the Holocaust, right? Black communities in America, this shows, were a step ahead about Nazism and fascism. But white America was like, meh. And black America was correct. And I feel like even when it comes to Christian nationalism, white supremacy, the base and what they care for, black and brown America is like, yo, yo, yo. But then white America comes in and says it. And then finally, they listen. And I'm like, yo, whatever it takes, man. Whatever it takes. And so you have an outlet. And you're talking about the people's needs right now. And, and you get, you know, the views um, and, and you talk to these folks. Tell the folks who are listening right now, what is top of mind concern for Democratic voters? Voters. I'm not talking about the establishment. I'm not talking about the corporations. I'm- hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm not talking about the donors. I'm not talking about the elected officials, the voters. What do they want from the Democrats going forward uh, 2022, 2024 elections? Yeah. So I think, I think there's a, there's a couple things I want. I think a, it is, it is like you said, just being, being very clear about what our messaging is. I think that that, I think that that's what the voters want to hear from the Democrats who are on the campaign trail. So that's like the people like me who, who are just begging these Democrats to go out there and, uh, and, and speak clearly and not, and not equivocate about, hmm. about, you know, bullshit or gas prices. No like, semi-fascist, just call it fascist. Just, just call it what it is. Um, and I think in terms of what I think in terms of what the voters are reacting to, it, and this goes completely. This is completely antithetical to what we're being told in the media that people only care about kitchen table issues. But people do care about the extremism happening on the right right now. They do care about the the attacks on democracy happening right now. And there's the this, polls show. This sorry, like, Brian, to interrupt you, but the polls show repeatedly it's a top kitchen table issue defending democracy. The, the last NBC poll showed that it was the number one issue mm. among Americans. And yet there's this prevailing notion, because we keep hearing it from legacy media, that people are only interested in gas prices, that we're just that that humans are so we're so reductive. We're so we're so <laughs> yep. small minded that yep. all we can comprehend is 
is a, a gas station sign that says $5 and three cents and their heads explode. And, and we're not able to, to bring in one more modicum of information in our lives. It's just gas prices. We go to sleep, we wake up and we're like, what's gas cost today? And then we, and then we go through our day and we worry about filling up the gas tank. And then it's time to go to bed and we're like, I hope gas goes down tomorrow. That, that ain't it. It's, it's people are, are focused on the attacks on democracy. It, they, they understand that it's foundational. They understand that, that this extremism is leading to further attacks and further erosions of rights. Um, they are, you know, and to, to go back to the initial question, it's also the question of women's reproductive rights. I mm. think those are the, I think those are the two biggest things. As soon as this happened, that's what I, I, I knew that that was going to be the only issue that we'd be focusing on between these attacks on democracy and Republican extremism and uh, Roe. Because I think it's not just about Roe, which is, by the way, unto itself already a major, major, major issue that touches the lives of at least half of the population, if not the entire population, because, you know, it takes two. Um, but I think it's it's representative of what Republicans would do if they took power. Because if you're willing as a Republican to um, to introduce a, a nationwide ban on abortion, for example, an issue that only 30% of Americans agree with you on, 70% of Americans support Roe as it stood. If you're willing to do that and you're willing to do it a few weeks before an, a, a midterm election, just imagine mm -hmm. what these will do when they're not going to be accountable to voters when there isn't an election right around the corner if you think if you think this is extremism now when they when they know that they have to face voters in like 6 7 weeks just imagine when it's january and they have 2 years of just clear runway to do whatever they want um it's it's so it's a testament to exactly that these are people who are unaccountable to voters and instead are only focused on like this minoritarian theocratic, Christo-fascist form of governing where, where they don't even care about government. They're more interested in running a church than, than, uh, than, than their, than their Bef congressional. Before Danielle asks the last yeah. question and, and takes us home, uh, thanks so much, Brian, for your time. I know you're a busy guy. I just want to let the listeners know that Danielle and I on this show, just like you, Brian, told Democrats that abortion would be a major galvanizing kitchen table <laughs> issue. And they should throw down in the culture wars. I just keep receipts, and I felt like you know flexing for a bit <laughs> but, for a second. Sorry, yeah, but, Daniel. But, but you're but you're absolutely right because um you know on on the issue of these culture wars, people think that the culture wars are something that Democrats should shy away from. We're on the right side of all these issues. We're on the right side of reproductive rights. We're on the right side of climate change. We're on the right side of common sense gun safety reforms. We're on the right side of all of these issues. So why are we afraid of them? Instead mm. of shying away from these culture war issues, we should fight them and win them because the majority of Americans are on our side on these issues. And I think that, that leaning into Roe, for example, is proving to these Democrats who are so fucking afraid of leaning into any culture war issue that these fights are winnable and not only winnable, but they're having a massive galvanizing effect on people across the nation to the point where we're winning elections 60-40 in Kansas. If that isn't mm. enough of a wake-up call, I don't know what is. And that's the reality too, I think, as well as this idea around the kitchen table and needing to reori reorient what we talk about around the kitchen table. Because the assumption is, is that we're still having the same fucking conversations that we were having in 1950, right? Which we are not. Yeah. The, 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 the idea is that we're having, you know, everything around the kitchen table. And I love the fact that you said reductive is everything that is on the kitchen table. Right. And the reality is, is that, you know, who doesn't have kitchen table, kitchen tables, people's whose people whose lives and communities 
who have been blown up by fascism, by white supremacy, by authoritarianism. Do you know who doesn't have kitchen tables right now? The people in Ukraine that had to flee, right? Because they have Putin that is coming in and that is taking, trying to take over their country or the people that are in Pakistan because their kitchen tables are underwater. Like we have to understand that Americans care more, right? Than either political party actually gives them credit for. And that what they That's want right. is that they want to know that there are people that are willing to fight for them that there are people that are willing to stand up for them, that when we see that Republicans are going to be going low, that we like to visit the gutter with them because we know that we're going yeah. to win. And this is the, the, the reality here is that I believe that Democrats continue to operate in the way that they are apologizing, right? That they apologize for themselves. They apologize for their voices. They apologize for being a big tent. And in doing so, want to cater to white people because they are fearful that if they identify who the villains are in this country right now, then all of a sudden, you know, they're going, there's going to be pushback. Well, we already saw that on January 6th. We've already been seeing that for the last five years. And so Brian, the last question for you is what do you think as folks that recognize that media has diversified itself, that we all, the, the beauty at the beginning of social media was the democratization of it all, that it wasn't just going to be a holders of the few who had microphones and cameras on them on the legacy networks, that the cameras and the microphones were all going to be in our hands by virtue of smart uh, smartphones. So my question is, how do we continue to build out these forces, these platforms for good, right? For the way that you've been able to build up a billion views and catch the eyeballs of the administration. How do folks like us and folks that maybe have even smaller followings, but they want to be of service, best utilize the platforms that they have? Yeah, I mean that that's that's a great question. I think the important thing that there's a there's a few things. You know, I've I've worked with um, a lot of emerging uh, creators in terms of helping them grow their platforms. So I think that there's a, a burden on people who do have big followings on certain platforms. So for example, on YouTube, uh, mm-hmm. I, I've I've helped um, a number of of smaller creators grow their pages, and I think that there's a big onus on bigger creators to do exactly that, to continue lifting up this ecosystem. Um, I, I've said a, a million times that a rising tide lifts all ships, and I think that that's important for all of us. Um, and I think, too, I think that there should be positive reinforcement when people, Democratic candidates, for example, are are relying on social media or using social media effectively. And I think that someone like John Fetterman is exactly is getting exactly that. Um, and, I, and and maybe maybe uh, the opposite for people who aren't who who um, who kind of ignore this stuff at their own peril. And so uh, but. But beyond that, yeah, I think I think that the onus is on big creators to continue lifting up uh, smaller creators. I think that it's important for these campaigns as they continue hiring young people on their campaigns to continue uh, using the TikToks and Instagrams. Although I'm uh, not really one to to advocate for uh, any meta products these days, but in any case, uh, just you know, bigger picture, meet people where they are, um, and and to do so in a way uh, where where you're comporting with the way that people actually consume the news. And so, for example, I know that there are a lot of media outlets that do talk for three hours, for example, and kind of mimic that same that same legacy media format. When I started doing my videos, I was focused on five minutes. That was it. Because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, 
I'm not going to consume content for three fucking hours. I'm not going to sit here and like watch a three hour video. I'm not even going to watch a 10 minute video. I'll do, I'll do four or five minutes. Maybe if it's on double speed, I can give two to three minutes of my time. And so that's, that's how I've always, that's how I've always um, posted content. That's, that's, I post it in such a way that I want to consume it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important for people to remember that obviously podcasting is different because it's a, it's, it's, an, you know, a, a platform that does reward a longer listening time. And my podcast is a hell of a lot longer than my YouTube channel. But the point is that, um, you should, you should fashion these fashion, uh, that you should utilize these social media platforms in a way that's most effective for the people actually watching them. Um, and so, and so, you know, people don't want to watch 24-hour news coverage. And so I don't give 24-hour news coverage. I, I kind of watch it the same way that I want to consume it. Um, so I would, I would my, my advice for people would be um, when, they're a, when, they're, when they're creating content to think, it, think of it as, as if they were a consumer. Mm. Um, and that, that's the way I've always, you know, done my work. Um, and again, sometimes I get it wrong. You can't be afraid to ask people what they think, what they like, do polls, don't don't you know? Don't be afraid to kill your darlings, and don't have an ego about it. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not about it's not about um, being right or trying to shoehorn anything in. It's about reaching people and doing so in the most effective way. And, and I would also say, be passionate, lean in with your values, be unapologetic, Absolutely. be authentic, and throw down. Brian Tyler Cohen. It's the host of the No Lie with BTC, and he also has a podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Brian. We appreciate it. We hope your listeners come join us and vice versa. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And uh, let's build this multicultural coalition and take over the right-wing swamp. (laughs) Perfectly put. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. I'm Wajahat Ali. And we will be back next week if, in fact, we have a country left. Inshallah. Inshallah.